downtown. Just a couple of days away from the Super Bowl. We're here with you until just before 9 o'clock today. Brent Gunning, Jesse Rubinoff on Fan Morning Show. And who better to get us set for the Super Bowl than NFL analyst for CBS as well as the NFL Network and the voice of Madden, Charles Davis. Charles, how's it going, man? Going great. How are you guys today? We're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, As we said, like, you know, the week off between the Super Bowl is, you know, you get to react from the conference championship games and then that's all well and good. But then we kind of reach this mushy middle part where, you know, especially, you know, me, we got to talk about this every day. You don't want to, you don't want to overextend yourself with all your Super Bowl thoughts, but now we are here. We can finally start to really, truly dive in. Uh, Just first things first, what is the, uh, what's the thing you're most looking forward to in this game? Is it seeing if Patrick Mahomes can get to three? Is it seeing if Brock Purdy can kind of quiet everybody down what's the storyline that kind of interests you most Charles you know I, I think those those are big ones I also think wanting to see if the 49ers defense can get back in form because they're used to playing a, at a certain level and lately they have not and they've been very vocal about it and it's been the general manager it's been the defensive coordinator it's been the defensive captain and all pro linebacker Fred Warner and it's turned into kind of a, a rallying kind of mantra for them. But, hey, guess what? We haven't played to the 49ers level. Can we get back to doing that? Oh, that's right. Patrick Mahomes on the other side. We had better get there. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. Yeah, one of the scariest things uh, for me from a, a Chiefs perspective, CD, is that they lost more regular season games than in any other season you know, with Mahomes, at quarterback. Mahomes personally had the worst statistical season of his career in most yeah. categories. But you look at the way they've played in the postseason, and they were already a team that this season was being led by defense. And it feels like at this very juncture, in the most important game of the season, they are actually heading into the game the most complete that they have been all season long. And that could spell big-time trouble for the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's a great point. I really like the way you laid it out. and. I think it's one of those things that Andy Reid probably has to keep talking to himself about as a head coach, an offensive um, offensive team, offensive play caller, led head coach. You know, throughout his career, that's where it's been. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he has to make sure he, he respects what his defense is, what they've been doing, how they've been playing, and going from that point forward. And making sure that nothing changes in this ball game because he has corralled that, that offensive impulse because Andy has always been a coach that is, and he's kind of changed the way the the league plays football. We're going to throw it, throw it, throw it Mm -hmm. and run it late. Yeah. Now have you, you guys have seen Isaiah Pacheco has been a featured part and you just play him first and then worry about the throwing as you go along and you kind of mix it in, which has been a little bit different for him. He can't change up now and go, okay, Patrick, let's throw it 40 times. Because if he does that, I think they're in trouble. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's going to throw it 40 times, and I agree with you. That would be uh, not the recipe uh, for, for them in that game. But you mentioned him trying to dial back his impulses. And, you know, this is anecdotal. I don't have, like, a number in front of me. But it feels like we always get one 
gadget play, trick play, whatever you want to call it. Like if I had to tell you only one of these guys, because I feel like Shanahan's got a lot of that in him as well. Who do you, which yeah. team do you think is more likely to kind of have that, you know, be it the, the Kelsey pass or something along those lines? Like, do you, would you kind of expect that from both teams? Do you have one you're kind of leaning more towards there? You always expect it from both teams. I think your point is well taken, but at this game, it should be San Francisco that does it, and Kansas City should not, in my estimation. Because we've gotten used to, you know, down near the goal line, how many times have we seen that shuttle pass to Kelsey? Yeah. Right? Or where you've gone inside. How many times have we seen the ring around the roses and, you know, they come out and they do something, they do the, 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 <laughs> yeah. the Notre Dame box shift or yeah. they do something <laughs> like that? Have you noticed we haven't seen it in the last few ballgames? Mm, yep. I, th- I think that's been a really good thing that they've curbed their impulse on it because I think teams are doing a better job of making that muddy when they try and run those plays. People are really focused in on them. People have been much more alert. And if you get down there and you run one of those trick plays and it backfires on you, I think that feels worse than if you just don't get it conventionally. Mentally, it gets to you. It's kind of like... Yeah, that was all fun and da- fun and games until something you know went really awry, right? What's the old thing about a party? Party's not a party till something gets broke. <laughs> well, don't break it down there. I think in this ball game, it should be much more San Francisco firing one of those than Kansas City because I think Kansas City gets hurt worse. Yeah, if it goes if it goes to the wayside. Yeah, it's such a good point. Like you bringing up Pacheco and, you know, I I brought up the Chiefs defense, but the 49ers defense has gotten carved a little bit during the postseason against the Packers and then at least in the first yeah. half against the Detroit Lions. And the, the real Achilles heel for this defense has been their rush defense. And as Isaiah Pacheco is 84 and a half rushing yards per game and Kansas City's averaged 127 rushing yards in three playoff wins. So that might spell disaster for the 49ers on D. Like what what have you noticed in the last couple of games from the San Francisco side of things that has sort of gotten them off kilter a little bit with their defense? I've noticed that they've really struggled inside and that's not normal for them. Usually Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, who's come back off of plantar fasciitis, Hargraves had a few dings. Javon Kinley, over the years, it's been knee injuries, but he hasn't had that lately. It's probably the best season of his career, but lately it hasn't been great. It, and Chase Young, their, their midseason acquisition, they have not played the run well at all. You know, it, it's been one of those things that you, people are trying to figure out. Remember that self-flagellation they've been going through about how they haven't played well? Mm-hmm. It centers in on that a lot because that front has not slowed things down enough to allow Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner to clean up. Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner have had to deal with blockers more than they've normally had to. And when you have to deal with blockers on the second level, that's led to the carving up as you discussed. The other part with Kansas City is with Pacheco. He may be averaging 84-something yards per game, but it's not at a great yards per carry. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Kansas City cares about that as much as we're controlling the clock, controlling the ball, the ball's not in our opponent's hands, and that helps this defense that we have now that is actually pretty good. It's always been, hey, let's have, let's have, make sure our defense can play with a 14 and nothing lead, right? It's always been that, kind of like Peyton Manning's Indianapolis Colts. This year, this defense has been able to play with, with a lead, without a lead, even. It's actually stunning to me to go back and realize the last 45 minutes of the Baltimore game, 
that defense gave up three points to Lamar Jackson, yeah. MVP, and, and the Baltimore Ravens, who had been rolling. That is pretty impressive to me because there were a number of empty possessions in that game by Mahomes and the offense, and it never became a problem for their defense. You mentioned you mentioned Chase Young in the answer there, and I, I you know, it's, I don't typically uh, delve in on a D lineman with you. That's not like Miles <laughs> Garrett or somebody, but I'm surprised he's had the you know lack of impact he's had. I mean, I just looked at it. I remember him having the big rookie year, seven and a half sacks, and I know he ended up with that number in total this year. But I remember when they made that move, I thought, oh no, this is a this is a monster they've just got on that D line, and you know it's it's a tale as old as time. It's like you play with other good players, it allows you to play better. I, I'm surprised he hasn't been able to have the and you know I don't want to overstate it. I don't think he's been terrible or yeah. anything along those lines, but I would have thought he would have come in and just been a beast on this D line. It hasn't quite taken a hold. Well, why do you think? that is that's a great question because i think that many of us thought the exact same thing i thought that by now he'd be playing at his highest level fully acclimated right the move is never as easy as we make it as as a public yeah. we just see the guys go out and play ball right there's so many other things that go into a move if you've got family if you're trying to find a place to live is this the right place you try so many things go into it and all we think about is them putting on a helmet and going and playing you know, there's, there's a lot more. But I would have thought by now the acclimation process would have taken hold. He was secure. He's good to go. The interesting part is his teammate in Washington, Montez Sweat, ended up going to Chicago. Yeah. And by the time the season was over, he led Washington and Chicago <laughs> with that. They got the wrong guy. So he got he right. He got the right, the, the wrong guy at the moment anyway. But San Francisco needs the guy that they – made the move for in order to lock down a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Give their front office credit. They made those kind of moves. We always talk about the Rams, you know, all in, and they did it and won a Super Bowl. Many people thought the Rams would just totally crumble from that point on. I got to give less need their front office credit. They didn't go all the way down to the pits before they got back to the playoffs again, which is absolutely amazing because we thought they'd, you know, sacrifice their whole future. They didn't. Seemed like it, but they found a way to rebuild. The 49ers are all in, trying to get a Super Bowl, making moves like this for Chase Young. They need him to play better. Here's the other part. There's another move they made, and it was Randy Gregory getting him from Denver. And Randy Gregory will always be the all-potential. Boy, if, we, if, if the right team gets Randy Gregory, if he gets in the right situation, if he plays a full season, Randy Gregory is going to be a member of the all-if team. When you talk about his career, because the if rarely translated into the actual. Yeah. And if you watch him play against the run against Detroit, there was no ifs, ands, or buts. He was awful. <laughs> and that's what they need to figure out. Okay? And, and guess what? I think they have figured it out. I don't expect him to play much in this game. I really don't. Mm. Because it just doesn't work. You know? Now, if they have to throw him out there and he shows that he's, he's willing to play the edge, willing to play the run, Maybe he'll get a few more plays, but I can't imagine Steve Wilkes has him as a major part of their game plan. And I'd be stunned if he's back in a 49ers uniform next year. Yeah, the visual of Chase Young just sort of quitting on the Jameer Gibbs touchdown is uh, certainly not a good one. CD, you get to a game like this and you start to talk about legacy and we can discuss the Patrick Mahomes legacy. I think he, he, everyone sort of looks at him as an all-time great already, so uh, he can only really go up from here, I would imagine. But you look at Kyle Shanahan yeah. 
and a couple things break the 49ers way and they could be the dynasty instead of the Kansas City Chiefs. But instead, Kyle Shanahan still searching for that uh, elusive Super Bowl and he can't go back in time and, you know, sort of hold on to the leads that he ended up blowing in the Super Bowl. But yeah. w- what do you think if they end up winning this game against the Kansas City Chiefs? What can that do for Kyle Shanahan's legacy as a head coach in this league? It's interesting. I was doing a show last night and Matt Ryan, the Atlanta quarterback, who is part of why we're having this discussion about Kyle Shanahan, because yep. Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of Atlanta when they were up 28 to three against against uh, New England mm-hmm. and lost that ball game. He made the, the observation. I think it's an astute one. All the things that you said so close in so many different ways, you've got to find that breakthrough somewhere. Okay, John Elway is a player. How many Super Bowls before he got his first one and then came back and got the second one the very next year and then retired, right? Andy Reid is a head coach in Philadelphia. Was it like five straight NFC Championship games or five in Mm -hmm. six years or whatever the number was? Only got to one Super Bowl out of that and then lost to New England. Andy didn't become Andy until he got to Kansas City and won one. And then everybody's like, well, he's won one. What's his legacy? Is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Got, this, got the second one. We don't talk about it anymore. Kyle Shanahan, for all of us, needs that one to break through and be done with it. And let's be quick about this one. Atlanta's an offensive coordinator. I bring it in because coordinators are people we talk about yep. way more than, than, than other sports, right? They blow the lead. They get beat. Was it all his fault? No. Defense collapsed in a big way, but it was Tom Brady. So we kind of go, yeah, that could easily happen, right? <laughs> then, you, then you go to, as a head coach, 10-point lead, seven minutes to go against Kansas City. Jet chip lost by Kansas City, the big play. I'm third and forever. They get it, 44 yards to Tyree Kill. They storm back and win. Mahomes walks off. Shanahan disappointed. NFC Championship game, lead late in the ball game. Jaquiz mm-hmm. Tart has it right between his right between his, his his arms, drops the interception from Stafford that would have sealed it. They come back and win. Rams go Super Bowl, beat Cincinnati. Last year Purdy gets hurt. It's not a fair match. They're out. This year, here they are. Can he get that one breakthrough? And in Matt Ryan's opinion, it's kind of like turnovers, takeaways, the whole deal. And I think that he's right. If he gets that first one with this 49ers organization, they have a chance to win multiples. They yeah. really do. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how that works, right? Like once the ball gets rolling a, a little bit downhill or, you know, whatever metaphor you want to use, right? Like, you know, we as a species did not break the four minute mile and then Roger Barrister did or Bannister did it. And then guess what? Now, yeah. now everybody's doing it. Like it's amazing what, what a little what a bit reference. of, what a little bit of self. I love that reference. I, I, I use that. it way too <laughs> often. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I love it because it wasn't because what Roger Bannister did that day, remember he trained for it kind of quietly. There's no real fanfare. I think I think if you would go back to that time that he did it, mm-hmm. and then if you asked around, hey, how many people were there when Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile? <laughs> You'd have a million people line up and say, I was there. Oh, yeah. And there were probably – and there were like 20, there were like 20 mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> so, so, so it just doesn't happen. But he goes from Roger Bannister when he broke the four-minute mile, the first one to do it. More than too much longer after that, he became Sir Roger Bannister. <laughs> so, so those are the things that you do, right? I, I love how you're talking yeah. about it. Once you break through, here comes other people because it's not just a 
physical barrier when you have barriers like that. There's a mental side to it. Because how many times did you hear doctors talk about, I don't know if it's good for the human health to be mm-hmm. breaking the four-minute <laughs> mile. That is too much on his system. No, you should not climb Mount Everest and get to the top. That is bad for you. You know, women should never run a marathon. That's just way too far. You see what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. We have, we, we have, we have bad thinking, right, bad science. And then finally when we get through it, everybody goes, Oh, okay, we can do this, and then here come the others. Yeah, it, you're you're right. It's it's remarkable, and man, it's so funny. There's so many things I want to take out of that. It's like first you reference John Elway, and I'm willing to bet Kyle Shanahan would be willing to take that hit that Elway went helicoptering on uh, to win one of those, much like Elway was. Uh, and then the other thing is, <laughs> he would he would not only take the hit. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle would run out. Kyle, Kyle would run out there without uniform yeah. and take the hit <laughs> if it if it meant that he would hoist that trophy right now because. Because he would love nothing more than for us minions to quit asking him about that. <laughs> he is so sick of it, tired of it, done with it. And by the way, he watched his father. Yeah. You know, and he mentions that, you know, as a kid, his father is an offensive coordinator and as a head coach. He said, We were in like nine conference championship games in 11 years as a family. Yeah. Okay. We were going to Super Bowls. We were doing these things. He actually referenced that he was the last person that held the cord of a head coach. Cause you remember yep. with the headset, yep. you would have to hold the cords and give them slack and the whole deal. Well, now they're wireless. So you don't have to do that part, right? You get the <laughs> headset on, you'd have to do as much of the, much of the cords. He said, I think I was the last one to hold a cord on the sidelines in the Super Bowl because they changed the system the next year. He's been through it. He grew up with it, saw it. He, he knows everything about legacy narrative, everything. And I watched him at the podium and the last uh, media uh, deal for yep. him. And he went through all of that. Oh, yeah, he's sick of it. He's tired of it. He wants his team to win. And by the way, this entire week has been the field's been bad for the 49ers. They actually did not want that story out. Okay, they didn't want it out there anywhere. And somewhere, someone got it. I think my colleague Jonathan Jones at CBS Sports Mm -hmm. had it and talked about the field. They weren't complaining and whining as much as some of the public wants to make it out to, they were just like, this is just terrible. Mm-hmm. And what happened was they did a lousy job putting the field down. That wasn't the 49ers fault. Yep. They were just talking about this isn't good. Oh, the game is indoors on Sunday where they are training at UNLV. Guess what's not there. An indoor practice facility. <laughs> the chiefs, the chiefs who are training, guess what they have at the Raiders complex An indoor facility. Why is that important? Because the game's indoors, and the other day the winds were at like 20 miles per hour, and they're out there practicing. It's not the same. And so they had to practice where they were going with the wind the entire time so that the quarterbacks weren't throwing into it and straining their arms. And then, by the way, some intrepid person pulled the fire alarm at 6 in the morning at the team hotel of who? <laughs> the 49ers. Oh, it's been that kind of a week. The Swifties. I'm wondering. Can't hold them back. Yeah. <laughs> He can't hold them back. But I'm just wondering, guys, with all that going and with everything kind of against them, everyone wants to play the underdog card in the Super Bowl. I think the 49ers are gaining the upper hand in that uh, right now. And, and and I think that's good for them come Sunday. Yeah, it, it does seem a, a bit absurd that the Chiefs get to hang out and practice in the Raiders facility, but the, uh, the you know 49ers funny, are you doing LV. You know what's funny about that? That is all predetermined, which is the weird part. It's the home team of the Super Bowl the visitors of the Super Bowl, those are predetermined facilities before you go. It's not like a coin flip. It's not like, oh, that's our division rival. We get their facility. 
it's already designated long in advance. And just how you come to the game, guess who the designated home team is in this game? Kansas City. Mm. They were going to that facility. How weird is that? Yeah, I just hope if the 49ers lose the game, they don't blame it on uh, UNLV. That would be a, a tough look. But <laughs> they, they, they definitely, they definitely will not. But their fans, that's all whole other <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah. Team, no, but their fans, they'll be like, hey, we're against us the entire time. cursing the ghost of Tarkanian, yeah. Yeah, 49ers Twitter is going to uh, be up in arms. Everyone will have a towel that they soak with water and suck on it for a while. That was, part, <laughs> that was Tark's big move on the sidelines. So good. Uh, does, does Sir Charles Davis have an X factor uh, for us? Because uh, it, it sounds ridiculous. I, I, know it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, but it, it feels like Brock Purdy's a little bit of an, an X factor in a way because people yeah. are doubting him and can he finally you know avoid... He feels like he's been getting away with a lot of passes that should have been picked off or yeah. should have been turnovers and, and he's been able to escape that. And it feels like if it goes the other way in the Super Bowl, that could be a big issue for the 49ers in this game. But on the other hand, if he continues to avoid those turnovers and continues to come up big when it matters, like it feels like a lot of the game hinges on the performance of Brock Purdy. Listen, we've spent a lot of time talking about Patrick Mahomes legacy and chasing down Tom Brady. And of course it's way too premature to have that conversation. But has that ever stopped us from doing the job we do? The answer is no, No. we're going to do it anyway. Right. It is fodder. People want to discuss it. We're watching greatness in front of us, the whole deal. In this case, Brock Purdy is closer to Tom Brady than what we're talking about with Patrick Mahomes. And here's my point. When Brady won his first Super Bowl, and remember that was the year he took over for Drew Bledsoe after the hit by Mo Lewis, where Bledsoe nearly died. All right. They had yep. to get him to the hospital. They ruptured the blood vessel. It was awful, worse than what people ever knew. And that story just came out, you know, much more recently. Bottom line is Brady takes over. Patriots play well. Patriots go to the playoffs. Fast forward to the AFC Championship game against Pittsburgh. Brady hurts his ankle in the first quarter, can't finish. Bledsoe comes off the bench, plays well. They win, I think, 21 to 6 or something like mm-hmm. that. And now we head to the Super Bowl. And us media types are firing away at Bill Belichick and opining, well, you should probably go stick with the veteran for the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. all right? Don't go back to Tom Brady. He's too young. By the way, do you really want to play a six-round pick in the Super Bowl when you got a chance to play the guy who's number one overall? Come on, Bill. What are we doing? And Bill steps to the podium and goes, Tom Brady's our quarterback, and then glares everyone into not asking another question. Okay, (laughs) we're done here. And then he goes – and in the game, he wasn't spectacular. If you go back and look at the stats, they weren't off the charts. But the last drive of the game, the great John Madden on TV said, hey, essentially, let's just go ahead and get it to overtime. Okay, let's not yep. make a mistake late. Young quarterback, the whole deal. And Belichick said, no, go. Mm-hmm. And Brady took him downfield. Vinatieri kicks the field goal. They win the ball game. We're now at the position of, oh, the six-round kid can play. Mm-hmm. To your point, Brock Purdy is once again in that type of a position. And to really get us off his back, it would behoove him to not only win the game, but to be about 24 of 30 for 313, (laughs) no picks. And if he does that, we might finally go, okay, enough with him being Mr. Irrelevant to Mr. Irrelevant and all nonsense. This kid can play. But people forget it took Brady a while to get everyone off his back. Because he was a six-round pick. 
it's amazing if you're a first-round pick that if you play well and do that, we can go, yeah, 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 I kind of expected that. Mm-hmm. But if you're a six-round pick, are you kidding me? I still think he's going to collapse. Yep. Brady never did, as we well know. Can Brock Purdy get that off his back? But here's the other part. If he is 13 of 27 and they still win, he doesn't get us off his back. Nope. Oh, they won without Brock Purdy doing much. He has to play well, and the 49ers have to win, and then maybe we can let that go. Yeah, it'll be uh, weird. very weird. It is, man. Uh, the, I, I think the good news, well, no, I don't think this. I know this. The good news is, for somebody like me, there will be a lot to talk about on Monday, one way or another, uh, coming out of that game. Charles, always, always appreciate the time. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the week, uh, chatting with you every Friday. Thanks so much, man. Hey, thanks a lot, guys, and, and we didn't get a chance, but... Austin Matthews wins the all-star game MVP. Yeah. I mean, the skills challenge was great. Mm-hmm. And the backstory of Connor McDavid being tapped by Gary Bettman, the commissioner. Hey, what are we going to do to fix the skills challenge? And he had all these different suggestions and then he wins it. Yeah. So it's not a bad thing to be, to be in collusion with the commissioner about <laughs> the skills challenge and walk away with a million dollars. Sign me uh, what yeah, should we do? Okay. We should give me a million dollars. That's what we should do. <laughs> I, Great I, idea. I, yeah. I like these drills because I'm really good at them. Okay. And, and did you say there's a million at the end? Yeah. All those drills should be used, Commissioner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> always love it, Charles. Uh, thank you so thank much, you Charles. Guys. There he goes. Take care. Charles Davis, analyst for the NFL on CBS as well as the NFL Network. He always gives us a little something. He had he, so he referenced Nylander riding the subway earlier this year with us. Uh, Doesn't love, miss. Love, love. Does not miss. No, he doesn't. It's the, uh, man, he don't miss. Never. Uh, it really is. I uh, love, love, love getting Charles Davis thoughts there. And like we said, there will be a lot coming out of this one way or another. Yeah, no doubt. Purdy, like, there's a world where Purdy performs really well, and Patrick Mahomes just has, you know, pixie dust flying out of his butt, and he he's, you know, winning another Super Bowl. There's a world where Purdy performs terribly, and the 49ers still win. There's a world where he's okay, but Christian McCaffrey throws one of the touchdown passes because we see that all the time in the Super Bowl. And guess what? There's also a world where Patrick Mahomes is just exactly who we all thought he was, and he just wins this walking away. Yeah. So I, much to come out of this. I game. feel like my preferred storyline is just to to have the continued descent of Mahomes. I think he's an incredible quarterback and it's mm. always fun watching guys like that carve out their legacy. But part of me also wants the Niners to win and Brock Purdy to play really well and mm. have and, another guy and this in the mix. Nonsense. Like I just I, I the storyline eventually I think gets old and I think we're getting to that point where the guys in the Super Bowl yeah. like what, what are we doing here like we're talking about how the guy is Mr. Irrelevant like at some point and I guess it comes with just winning the Super Bowl but at some point that storyline becomes played out and the guy has done enough to bring his team to this point. Are the 49ers supremely talented? Yes. But they clearly don't get to this point without the play of their quarterback. So I wouldn't mind him uh, playing really well in the Super Bowl and that and that storyline uh, going the way of the Dodo Bird. Yeah, I'm so conflicted because, like, I'm a Brady guy to my core, right? So any Super Bowl loss from Patrick Mahomes, I will, I will take it yeah. ad nauseum. But... We love greatness. We love having something to cheer against. And sorry, Brock Purdy, but until you go win a couple of these things, I'm not going to think of you that way, no matter how loaded that 49ers team is. Uh, Coming up next, Eric Smith. Uh, Still, I would imagine, in mourning from his his beloved Buffalo Bills, but not in mourning from an exciting trade deadline in the NBA. Raptors making some moves. They didn't make some moves. 
What did he make of the moves? Eric Smith will join us next. It's Fan Morning Show with Gunning and Rubinoff on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brent Gunning, Jesse Rubinoff alongside me, the two of us alongside you until just before nine o'clock. And yesterday, a busy day in the NBA. I don't know that we saw the the blockbuster, not that we were really expecting one, but it was certainly a busy day with flurry of trades, including a few from your Toronto Raptors. It is now uh, time for the Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Joining us now, Raptors play-by-play man, and co-host Smith and Jones, Eric Smith. Eric, been a while. How you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, we love a little news. Uh, we we didn't have a deadline like last year where we were searching for it uh, with a fine tooth comb. Uh, just first impressions from you. What did you uh, What you make of the day yesterday uh, from from the Raptors as a whole? You know, I I think overall it was it was good in that they gave themselves flexibility that they wouldn't have otherwise had. Um, and, and, you know, I think some people understandably maybe were, uh, I don't know if it's, if upset's the right word or, or at least maybe frustrated or potentially confused with the, the Schroeder move because Schroeder has played generally well and he's been, uh, whether it be as a starter or as a six man, he's, you know, put up some points for this team and certainly, you know, done an admirable job, admirable job at the, uh, at the point overall. Um, and when you look at that move, and then the waving of Spencer Dinwiddie, it's like, well, well, hold on a second, why? What what happened there? And you're clearing yourself of Schroeder's contract for next year and giving yourself that flexibility then in the offseason, whether it be to go out and sign somebody else, to acquire somebody else, to use that money elsewhere. So I didn't, didn't necessarily mind that move. And then the trade with the Utah Jazz, I think, made a lot of sense in the standpoint that with no disrespect to the players moving out and even the draft pick that was moved, you're sending out two guys that weren't playing for your team. Auto Porter was used beyond sparingly, and Kyra Lewis just got here and didn't even suit up. Uh, and then the first round pick, you, to me, at least the way I took it, is you're moving out a locked-in guaranteed salary in a late first rounder while still holding on to that early second rounder that you acquired in a previous deal just a couple of weeks ago. And I'd rather have that late, or excuse me, that that early second rounder than the late first rounder. Because remember, with the second round picks, you're not locked in, right? So from a financial perspective, from a wiggle room perspective, from a flexibility standpoint, I think that deal made sense beyond just the fact that you acquired a guy in Kelly Olenek that I think could still be a piece moving forward, even as he enters free agency in the summertime. And I think Abaji is a, is a, a, a good young player that was already playing in the rotation in Utah who might have a chance to play a little bit more and have more of a role here with the Raptors. So it certainly wasn't like some earth-shattering, you know, headline-breaking day for the Raptors or arguably anybody in the league. It was a relatively quiet day in terms of a lot of moves but no real splash move. I think the other big moves have been made over the course of the season. But I think, you know, generally speaking, it was a decent day for Toronto in terms of, like I say, the flexibility that they gave themselves to uh, go forward, whether it be free agency, trade, and still have – 
uh, a decent amount of, of picks available to them as well. Yeah, you mentioned the heavy lifting was done uh, a couple of months ago with, with Pascal and, and OG and Anobi, obviously. But I think it took a while to get to this point. But do you feel better about where they are now than you did when this team was, you know, they had a good collection of talent, but they were floundering and it definitely felt like they were a little bit lost at sea with not really, not really sure where they're going. They're kind of middling. And that's an uncomfortable situation for people who are, are watching this team and, and want them to be good again. But do you, do you feel better about where they sit today than you did a couple of months ago? I, I think I do, Jesse, and, and like take, kind of stepping back now and looking at it from you know thirty thousand feet. I, you know, you guys can disagree, but I guess my assessment of things was even if we rewind kind of to this very point last year, I think I, I like I, I find it difficult to um, point the finger of blame because I know myself I felt last year that the Raptors were perhaps better than what their record said they were. Now, listen, did I think they were a championship contender? No. But did I think that they were a playoff team? And I'm not even talking play-in. Did I think that they could be a top-six team with the core that they had with Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet uh, and then trying to add to that with a Jakob Pertl? Yes, I did. I felt they were a playoff team. So I understood what management was doing last year in trying to acquire and add to what was the biggest void that they had. They need a big man. They need somebody to solidify the middle. All right, boom, they go and get Jakob Pertl. They enter into the offseason. All right, didn't work out for us, but we tried to swing for the fence and make that big move. But you know what? We still think that we're going to have a chance to maybe keep this core together. What was, in the end, our greatest weakness? Shooter. So we go out and get one of the top two, three shooters in the draft in Grady Dick. I think they felt like they were bringing Fred Van Vliet back. Van Vliet ends up leaving. But you know what? We still kind of like our core. We still kind of like what we have. We think we should have been better last season. We think we can still stick it out. Let's try and see if we can still make something of this. Let's give ourselves the first couple of months of the season to see how it plays out. And it didn't play out well to start this season. So they made the decision. Gone is Ananobi. Gone is Pascal Siakam. So while others are saying, well, maybe you should have hit that button last year, I understand the approach. And I think they wanted to, as again I say, give themselves that time to give this group one last shot. And when it didn't work, it was time to strike. So everybody that's been asking for, whether you want to call it the rebuild, the retool, the retweak, the re-something, it's now happening at this point. And as I said a couple of minutes ago, I think the Raptors have put themselves in a position now where with Barnes, with Barrett, with Quickly, still having a veteran in the middle in Pirtle, and now having draft stock, flexibility financially, I think you have the opportunity, the, the, the ability to do stuff now going forward. And I think for a lot of people, including me, that have pointed out, well, it's one thing to have money. It's another thing to have somebody that will take your money. Mm-hmm. And the Raptors have you know, historically not necessarily made the biggest splash in free agency. I would argue a couple things. One, I don't think there's a ton of teams in recent memory that have made major splashes in free agency. If you think of the biggest moves in the NBA for any team, including the Raptors, yeah, it's normally via trade. Yeah. It's not done via free agency. Yeah. And then to that point, 
I think that's where Toronto can then strike. It's like, hey, can we deal away forty million or twenty million and bring back forty million? You have the flexibility now. Obviously, I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, you have the flexibility now financially to maybe be a player in the trade market where you wouldn't have been before. So that's where I guess I see the path, Jesse, of you have multiple options of multiple ways to try and build this thing moving forward. Yeah, it's funny. You say people uh, last deadline were, were saying, where were the moves? Where were the moves? It's me. I, I was people, but I feel very differently <laughs> about, I feel very differently about them holding on to Bruce Brown. Like I, you know, Bobby Webster made the point yesterday that if they would have got their price match, they would have moved him. But I think that this is a smart move. You know, you have the draft capital and I understand the way this draft is viewed, but you have the salary and it's just so important in this league to have salaries to trade. If you want to make them and it can't just be kind of middling salaries like you need that bigger ticket guy so i i do like the move to hang on to him again i wouldn't have begrudged them if they if they if they would have moved him but i i think it's smart that they went about it this way you know in terms of goals the the rest of the season i mean we can make this super simple and say it's just about scotty barnes becoming the best version of himself but what are you kind of looking for the the rest of the season from from the Raptors here? Is it about avoiding the top six protection? Is it about making sure you give up that pick? Is it about getting into the playoff or sorry play in? What do you? What's the kind of biggest thing you're looking for now that the deadline's in a rearview mirror? You, you know, you probably hit on them all, so I could probably say, oh, yeah, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little <laughs> bit of that. But if you want me to pick one specifically, yeah, make a picky. For, for, for me, I would say it's development or definition. And I'm talking of roles, of of pecking order, um, of specific positions. Because I think right now, especially with Schroeder gone, you know, I, I believe that Emmanuel Quickly is the point guard for this team going forward. I fully, fully, fully anticipate that they will offer him, you know, a hefty pay raise and a contract extension in the offseason. And I fully believe that that move was made with the Knicks as much for R.J. Barrett as it was for Emmanuel Quickly. With that said, this team outside of Marquise Noel down at the G League, doesn't technically have another point guard, an actual point guard on this team. And I think Bobby Webster hit on it yesterday too. He acknowledged in, in either directly or at least in kind of you know not so many words that they still want to see Scotty Barnes with the ball in his hands a little bit. And I think from that, and I don't think that's a bad thing, but I'm talking about the definition of is Scotty a, a, a one, a two, a three, a four, does it matter in today's quote-unquote positionless game? But will he be a guy that can or wants to or your team has run best with him with the ball in his hands more? Does that mean quickly plays off the ball a little bit more? Late game situations. It doesn't always have to be one guy. No, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be you are our guy, but is it R.J. Barrett? Is it Scotty Barnes? Is it Emmanuel quickly? Can you just build that cohesion? If this is the threesome that's going forward, this core, if those are your three main guys, barring another trade or a signing or a big splash in the offseason, if that's your core, these guys have to just get reps together and time together. So that's what I'm looking for more than anything else is the development and the definition of each guy, but especially your core guys, because this is what you're now building around going forward. Yeah, this is a, a key time in, in the future of the, the franchise now. You want to see what you have with those guys moving forward. Um, There were a lot of moves yesterday during the trade deadline, but not a ton of big names. Were you surprised that... There weren't teams that sort of went out and really went for it because if I if I evaluate the Eastern Conference or even the West, 
Like there's a lot of, it's pretty wide open. There are a lot of really good teams and it feels like the opportunity was there to sort of go from maybe being uh, an eight or a seven or a six seed to really getting up into the upper echelon of the conferences. But it doesn't really feel like anybody went out of their way to do that. Were you surprised by the lack of big names on the move yesterday? Uh, I was, I, I was to some extent, Jesse, but I guess the way I look at it is, I mean, the biggest moves were already made to some extent. Right. When you think about, you know, obviously with the Raptors trading OG and OB and Pascal Siakam, Miami dealing Lowry and making, you know, the, the deal with Rozier, even, you know, early on the trade involving James Harden. So I think that the, the biggest moves were made, I guess what two things, one is I'm not sure that there's a player like a significant player on a team in the league that I was like, well, yeah, that guy's getting moved for sure, or this team's for sure going to go after that guy. Like, I don't know that there's this this star out there or this potential star out there that's dangling that ultimately didn't get moved. With that said, I was surprised that certain teams didn't tweak or add, and, and I'll, I'll say the one perhaps maybe even at the top of the list, is Denver. Like, I love what Oklahoma City did in going out and getting Gordon Hayward. I, I don't know if he's – if he like, to me, that's that's a move worth making because it's it's a it's a low-risk, potentially very high reward for them. So you've got a top team in the West adding a guy who's got a heck of a lot of talent, who's definitely battled a lot of injuries, who's clearly in the later stages of his career. But if he can add anything to that team, I thought that was solid for them to do that. Minnesota stepping back and saying, you know what? We're kind of good. We got a lot of talent. We don't want to mess with our chemistry. That's fine. But Denver not doing anything at all, and whether it was trying to be a player going after bringing back Bruce Brown, what, no matter what it is, I'm surprised that the Nuggets didn't do anything to add to what they have is obviously a very good team. They are the championship contenders, but they've lost pieces from last year's championship squad, including, obviously, Bruce Brown. I think they could have added and used a little bit more. Clippers kind of staying put. That's fine. They already made their move earlier with Harden, and they've got one hell of a team. Lakers maybe needing a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a push. I'm surprised they didn't make a move. So the Western Conference, uh, with those two teams specifically, the Lakers and the Nuggets, that stood out for me. In the East, the one thing that did surprise me, even though I don't really love this player necessarily, I was shocked to some extent that Milwaukee and Philly made a deal. Like in picking up Patrick I was Beverly, so surprised by that one, yeah. Like, yeah, you got two teams that are going nose-to-nose with each other that are like, you know, rivals and competitors for the top of these trying to battle, you know, and maybe get it's there a to, mole. to chase Boston. Maybe it's a mole situation, E. They're like, <laughs> all right, we paid you off, Pat. Go do the thing. Get under Giannis's skin. Yeah, you know, hey, who knows? Who knows? we got some WWE <laughs> angles going with this one. And it, I, I think it was actually, in the end, a decent move for Milwaukee in the sense that they get an agitator, yeah. but they also get a guy who's reunited with Doc Rivers. Like Patrick Beverly playing for Doc again, I think that's a very good thing. And, heck, Doc at this point could probably use some help because it certainly hasn't worked well for him so far since taking over in Milwaukee. So those were, to me, the biggest surprises of the day if I had to pick any. Just uh, otherwise, you know, a lot of little tweaks and minor moves for the most part. Yeah, certainly uh, a lot of. Uh, a lot of tweaky moves for sure. Uh, Eric, it is always an honor to talk with a 2022 inductee of the Burlington Sports Hall of Fame. One day I, I hope to be there as a Burlington resident myself, but I know i got a long road ahead, so it's just just an honor to get to talk with you this morning, Eric. Well, Thanks so I, much. If I'm there, I'll, 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 or if you get there, I'll be there to put your, well, there isn't a blazer, but I'll, to, to put the, 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 the quote-unquote blazer on your shoulder. <laughs> there we go. I cannot wait. Uh, one day we'll uh, have a meta- metaphorical uh, blazer yes. putting on ceremony. Uh, 
Eric, thanks so much for thanks, the time, Steve. man. Really appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Uh, there he goes. This insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit donvalleynorthlexus.com. It's actually like a running bit with Ben and I. So Ben is an Oakville, like born and raised yeah, in Oakville, yeah. now a Burlington guy. And I live in Burlington as well. Now I'm a Toronto guy, like at heart. I got to be honest, like love my city, but love, <laughs> love my newly adopted town of Burlington as well. But, you know, I've been ru- making a running joke with Ben that we're going to be so good at this mm. that they're going to like have statues of us in Burlington. He said, pump the brakes, maybe settle for the Hall of Fame. Do you so, think you're trending towards Hall of Fame no, inclusion? No, I think, I think it's like, I don't think, you know what it is. There are certain Hall of Famers and I'm a small hall guy in all things. Some people are Hall of Famers because they were a Comet. They were great for like two or three years. The only shot I have is he never stopped talking about the Leafs for 65 years or something along those lines. Like it's got to be a longevity thing. I don't know that I'm on like a Mahomes type ascent here. I don't think so. Right. Well, there's always time to to change that. Thank you. You're you're supposed to be like, no, what are you talking about? Of course you are. (laughs) That's what you're supposed to say. Bad job by you. Uh, A lot of, uh, I I, I think, I think Eric made a lot of, uh, a lot of salient points there. And yeah, it's just, it's not the deadline that you see in other sports where it's blockbuster after blockbuster. Like we said, like Buddy Heald, Bogdanovich, those are the biggest names. The one other thing I wanted to mention, though, is what he said about Denver there and them not adding. And this is totally unfair because, like, Mike Malone's a fiery guy and I'm sure, you know, like, their GM wants to win. Mm-hmm. But I just think that whole organization takes on the mentality of Jokic of, oh, okay, sure, I'm, just, I'm, I'm the best and Jamal's pretty good. we got some other guys, Aaron Gordon, Mike Board Jr. It's fine, don't worry about it. Like, that's just the vibe I get. And it all just stems from Jokic. And I know he's not the one making the trades because... Quite honestly, I feel like he'd quit if you made him do anything more related to basketball right now. But that was as soon as he said that about Denver, I'm like, oh, obviously not. It's it's Jokic's team. They're just chilling, and that's kind of how they go about their business. Yeah, I feel like they believe they're better than everybody else already, and yeah, part of that, good. yeah, part of that, <laughs> co- like when you have that kind of confidence, I don't think you think that bringing someone else into the fold necessarily will change anything. Like it was just business. I feel like yesterday was just another day in their season. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't really affect them yeah. in any way, shape, or form. I There's wonder if deadline? they were thinking about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I don't even, like, maybe even the GM told them the day before that, like, hey, you're all yeah. good, so, like, just relax yeah. and keep going. Like, they're, we're second in the in the West now, and they've been playing a lot better as of late. So, yeah, I think the, the Nuggets are in really good shape, regardless of the fact that they didn't make any moves yesterday. Like, there was nothing that would tip the scales that happened yesterday to take someone from... A, a non-contender to a contender. Like the Knicks rounded out their roster yep, probably probably at the best of, of anybody, but they're still where they were heading into the deadline, which is a, a team that's in the top four or five in the East and they could surprise some people, but there was nothing earth shattering yesterday. Yeah, no, I, I do like the Bogdanovich pickup, but you know, I think this is part of the nature of the wide openness of the NBA this year is that, yeah, you could see the Knicks making a run, but that's not, that doesn't feel like, ah, there's your final piece exactly. like we've seen uh, necessarily in the past. Uh, now time for the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local, no Leafs tonight. They're back at it tomorrow. Hockey night in Canada, uh, in Ottawa against the Sens. Now we did just have, uh, not really breaking news, but a little update this morning on the Sens availability. Jake Sanderson will be out for that game. Uh, Bruce Garriaca reporting that. So, you know, Sanderson, obviously an important player for the Sens, but let's be honest. It's like you could throw out the rosters anytime the Leafs and Sens play always uh, an interesting game. Do you have a lean on like how you expect this to go for me? Leafs. Uh, I feel like they're still reeling a little bit. I know they had a big win against Dallas, but it didn't feel like, uh, the big win 
win. And uh, generally speaking, when this team, th- when you think they're going to let down, they don't. So uh, I think the Leafs will uh, take care of business. Might even think uh, by the one and a half, I'd imagine they'll be favored. What are, what are you looking at for tomorrow in that game? Yeah, I, 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 every time I think, you know, the Leafs aren't, but every time I question them, they sort of come back the from that a little bit. And yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on their chances overall, generally speaking. And I know that the sort of the issue for them over time has been playing the weaker teams. But I do think I mean, the Sens are just in shambles. And if you take if you take them lightly and mm. you don't have a good performance, like there are red flags all over the place. And I just do not expect that to be the case. And I think the Leafs roll to him with you on that one. Yeah, shambles. Maybe uh, maybe Mitch Marner will put shambles in the Sens. Nice. Base, as opposed to us doing that to him. That's what he said, not me. Don't t- take it up with him. Don't don't talk to me uh, about that. What you should talk to me about, though, is the wake and rake. And that was it. Presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Plenty more on the Leafs coming up in this show. We got a full hockey hour. Mark Messier, Moose, leader, captain, leader of men, going to join us next. A lot to get into with him. And then, uh, sorry, Sammy, but a bit of a nosediving guest for the last uh, hour of the show. Going from Messier to Sam McKee. Can't wait to do it. <laughs> One hour left of the Fan Morning Show. Gunning and Rubinoff on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.